This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik. Today we're talking about the COVID-19 pandemic. Is it really over, as uh, some of us may be thinking? But with cases recently spiking and more people being admitted to hospitals for severe cases of COVID, how exactly are we doing with managing the transition uh, to endemicity? So joining me today via Zoom, infectious diseases physician, Professor Dato Dr. Adiba Kamaru Zaman, who is also a member of the National Recovery Council, will be finding out how we're doing really, what... um, numbers or indicators should we be keeping our eye on and what needs to be done to keep COVID-19 in check for the longer term. So do um, send us your thoughts via WhatsApp at 018789 If you'd like to tell us how are you feeling about the pandemic right now? Do you still think about risks to yourself or your family members or are you feeling fully comfortable with living with COVID? You can also call us at 033 Good afternoon, Prof Adiba. How are you today? And Shao Eik, always good to be back with you. Yes, thank you so much for your time. So I'll jump right into it. We recently saw a bit of a spike in cases and um, the Ministry of Health did come out to, uh, you know, in in the last few weeks to sort of, you know, warn about this uh, small surge. While that has gone down, we are also seeing that hospitalizations, ICU admissions and those on ventilators are at the highest in the past few months. So um, if we could get your take, what does this tell us about the current COVID-19 situation and what are you concerned about? So, Shaoek, I think the first message is uh, that COVID-19 is definitely not over. We are still living in a pandemic, much as we wish that it was over. And, um, yeah, I guess uh, apart from the masking, which Malaysians in general are pretty good at, um, life has essentially returned to normal. But um, as you pointed out, Um, The numbers uh, are starting to creep up again. Um, Certainly, a number of people getting sick and hospitalizations also increasing. I think there are a number of um, reasons for this. Um, Obviously, you know, the return to um, quote unquote a normal life, um, waning of the vaccine a relatively low rate of um, boosting. We did so well in the primary vaccination and even the first boost, but we've got a lot uh, of catching up to do for second booster. And, well, it remains to be seen what the impact of uh, this this election is going to be, but the, the packed charamas in particular, I think, um, will be an increased risk for um, infection. And uh, what indicators should the public be looking at to get an idea uh, of how things are going? I think absolute number of infections, um, whilst it's important to keep track of that, but in terms of, um, you know, because, because people are testing themselves, so we don't really know what the underlying denominator is because not everybody's going to report. I think the the thing to keep an eye on would, like it was before, um, hospitalization rates, particularly intensive care, as well as deaths due to COVID, because this is what's going to impact 
on the health system and um you know, the, the, you always need to consider the the um, impact on the person, but also impact on the health system, which then has impact on other people, you know, people with cancer, people with other diseases, people who are having a heart attack uh, when the hospital system becomes overwhelmed. And um, Health Director General uh, Tan Sri Nohisham did warn us about um, the Omicron XBB variant. So let's talk about that a little bit. Is the variant sort of the cause of these numbers creeping up? What do we know about this variant? Yeah, I think without that, the Omicron, um, as we've known for some time now, uh, has a very, very high um, infection rate. I mean, it's, it's easily more easily transmittable than um, the previous variants. Um, the good thing is that, um, you know, the vaccines, although not, I mean, the vaccines still protect um, against severe disease and uh, mortality. So, so, but we know that it wanes very quickly against uh, the variants. So hence, you know, the call for people to get um, the second booster. And then, of course, the, the other reason, um, apart from the virus itself, is, is um, the, the immunity, like I touched on, the um, waning from vaccine that was received some months ago. And then um, the, the behavioral, you know, people are out and about and um, perhaps not taking those personal protection that they should, like masking, distancing, you know, not going, not 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 exposing yourself to others when you are uh, positive. So, based on the your um, you know concerns over the waning immunity and the low take up of the second boosters, what's your advice then? Uh, number one, who should be going to get the second boosters? You know, some people are even saying um, there was report there there was news that um, we will be bringing in the sort of. Um, quote-unquote updated vaccines, right? Should we be waiting yes, for that I think, instead? Um, the, the bivalent vaccine has just recently arrived, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the best vaccine is a vaccine that's in your arm, whichever vaccine that you can get, right? I, I don't think particularly those who are at high risk of severe disease um, should be delaying their vaccine to wait for um, the bivalent vaccine. So it the the... the the risk groups are, is, remains the same. So it's those who are over 60, those who are receiving um, chemotherapy or immunotherapy for cancer or other immune diseases, um, people who are obese, people who have diabetes. Um, and and uh, so I would urge those people to, prior, to be prioritized and, and get um, vaccinated as quickly as possible. I, I recently had the um, opportunity to work with our, our co-chair a consensus statement um, with about 386 other experts from around the world, which we published um, in Nature. And I think, uh, and and no, I think well, we came up with a recommendation after quite a uh, lengthy deliberation with you know, 386 experts from different fields around the world that um, while vaccine is uh, important, it what we recommend is a vaccine plus, meaning, you know, the vaccine and booster, but also other measures like the 
um, personal protection, masking, um, distancing, and um, improving ventilation, all that um, essentially have not changed. And um, the other as the uh, the top recommendation that these the, that we the experts came up with is um, to really, if we want to end the COVID nineteen pandemic, um, that we really must go back to doing a whole of society, whole of um, government response that we saw at the height of the pandemic. Yeah, we. So I guess to encourage people to uh, be boosted, we. You know, probably need to to activate um, that the the jantra again. Perhaps not having the large um, uh, PPVs, but um, getting NGOs involved to um, reach out to those uh, at high risk, like the elderly, who may not be able to um, come forward to be vaccinated as easily. So there, there. I think there are things that still can be done to improve. Um, the second booster vaccination rate, which at the moment sits at only 5%. And, uh, you know, that whole pandemic fatigue has really and truly set in right now, hasn't mm-hmm. it? So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm sure primary care physicians, um, the clinic kesehatan level, community groups as well could really play a role here in sort of like getting that hyped up again, couldn't it? Absolutely. And, and, and media, of course, uh, media plays a very important role to remind people that it's not over yet, and particularly in the next few days where the, um, I think although the risk at the polling booths itself is going to be relatively small because people are not you know, crowded and in, in the polling station itself, you only have one person in at a time, that, that sort of minimizes the risk but masks should still be worn. Um, but in this next 24, 48 hours where, you know, you see crowds of people in, during chiramas, etc., cetera, um, it, we, we need to keep reminding people that COVID is not over. And, and yes, as you said, um, all the stakeholders need to play their role and be more proactive in terms of um, encouraging and, and getting um, assisting people to get their booster. Yeah, and uh, you know, actually, you know, speaking of polling day itself, if GE fourteen was any indication, there were long queues heading into the polling stations as well. So, I mean, even that is is causing it could potentially be the source of a crowd. People are mingling after they've uh, cast their vote. I'm sure mm. so. At the end of the day, it's basic, isn't it, Prof? It's masking. It is. It's masking. ventilation. Mm-hmm. So um, for all of you... Two and um, a half, three years down the road, I think we, we should all um, be quite uh, you know, aware of, of how to protect ourselves and to protect our loved, loved ones. Yeah, so for all of you heading to Charamas as well, that's also a reminder. But um, we've still got more to discuss. Um, Prof Adiba said, you know, if we're looking at wanting to end the COVID-19 pandemic, we need a whole of society and government response. So uh, what should that look like down the road and what lessons do we need to learn from the past two and a half years? I'm speaking to Professor Dato Dr Adiba Kamaru Zaman, infectious diseases physician and member of the National Recovery Council about um, looking ahead for the pandemic and our transition to endemicity. So um, do call us with your thoughts or if you are 
have perhaps been thinking about getting the second booster and you have questions about it for Prof. Um, now's your chance to ask. You can call us at 0377332900, WhatsApp 0187898899. We'd also like to hear how are you feeling about the pandemic right now? Are you um, maybe letting your guard down a little bit or are you still really concerned about the risk for yourself and your family members? So stay tuned. We'll be right back on Health and Living BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik, and my guest, Professor Dato Dr. Adiba Kamaru Zaman, infectious disease physician and member of the National Recovery Council. We're looking at um, how we've been doing in tackling the COVID-19 pandemic. Is it really over? Um, short answer, no, it's not. It's still very much with us because we can see um, numbers going up and down periodically, but more concerning numbers like hospitalizations, ICU admissions, um, deaths as well, uh, you know, spiking at certain periods in time and uh, of course we're concerned about the current uh, campaigning period uh, leading up to G15 on Saturday and uh, what's happening as uh, crowds are going out to attend churamas, um, you know, meeting with uh, uh, candidates uh, and why the really simple things still matter, as Prof Adiba has said, keeping your masks on, keeping your distance and not um, going into places that are truly crowded, um, you know, making sure that spaces are well ventilated. If you are at higher risk, let's say above the age of 60, um, if you have a condition where your immune system is suppressed, uh, if you are living with a non-communicable chronic disease, um, getting your second booster shot as well. So do call us with your thoughts on um, how you're feeling about the pandemic. Have you completely forgotten there was such a thing as COVID-19? Um, or if you have um, questions you'd like to ask about getting the second booster jab, anything to do with COVID, you can call us at 03-7733-2900. You can also WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. Now, Prof Adiba, you mentioned earlier that um, this consensus statement by 386 experts around the world uh, on sort of recommendations for countries um, to end the COVID-19 pandemic would need a whole of society, whole of government response, the same uh, way that we all kicked in during the start of the pandemic in 2020. So I guess, um, number one, what does the end of the COVID-19 pandemic look like? You know, because there's also the acknowledgement that uh, we may never really truly see um, the disease in our rearview mirror. It could be with us the way influenza is, right? Um, and then leading on to that, what does the whole of society, whole of government response look like as we transition into endemicity? Yeah, I guess um, what we mean by um, ending COVID-19 as a public health threat is when you know, you, you're no longer having um, thousands of people getting infected globally, nationally and globally and um, constantly threatening um, the health system. Um, I think to completely eliminate uh, COVID-19, we now know it's going to be very, very difficult, if not impossible, at least in, in the next few years. Um, so... That, so, so that's that's the um, main thrust of the message that we can keep it to um, you know a low level um, with all the 
measures that you've mentioned, vaccination plus, um, as well as attending to um, issues like ventilation, uh, etc., and, and also show social support for people uh, who need it. Now, in terms of whole, whole of society, whole of government approach, you touched on um, that you know we we Malaysians um, showed what we're capable of, um, and I recall. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, at, at UMMC, where I chaired the co-chaired the task force, people were Malaysians from all walks of life, uh, were sending in food, were making plastic um, shields, uh, were were sewing the the gowns for for hospitals and, and others PPEs and and others were. Um, collecting funds to allow us to buy ventilators, etc. Et so, you know, we Malaysians um, can certainly uh, come together in, in times of crisis uh, very, very well. And then when the pro proverbial, you know what, hit the fan um, in, in July of 2021, once again, people came together and particularly in, in getting um, vaccination going. Um, so, you know, uh, humanitarian NGOs, um, uh, colleagues of mine um, and, and others went into uh, Orang Asli areas, looked after elderly people who couldn't go to the PPVs, um, reached out to migrant workers to ensure that everybody um, was vaccinated. Hence, our amazingly high uh, rate of uh, first and second dose um, COVID-19 vaccine. So, so that's the epitome, I think, of a whole of government, whole of society approach. And, and, and we had the government, um, you know, inter-ministerial uh, task force um, uh, working hard with, with the SOPs, etc. One can argue about the, 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 rights and wrongs of some of them, but nevertheless, um, you know, there was coordination at the government level with different ministries. Um, so I, I think, um, yes, of course, we can always do better, but um, we somewhat did quite well, I think, with the whole society, whole of government approach then. But um, like you said, um, COVID-19 fatigue has set in and um, now it's almost like each to their own you mm. know, we, um, uh, to get boosted and, and so forth. Yeah, and the, the, the whole idea of community groups, for instance, NGOs, people, individuals um, sort of really rising to the occasion uh, was wonderful, but it it, it was the the situation that drew them uh, and drew yeah. that spirit the urgency. Forth. The yes. urgency yeah. and the fear of, you know, um, they themselves getting infected and, 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 and so forth. Um, and without that urgency but, but right then, now... Correct. But there was also altruism. There's no doubt about it. Yes. So in the absence of um, that urgency and plus the, the fatigue, of course, um, it's going to be um, uh, a lot more challenging. And this is why I think um, as a very important lesson to be learned from COVID-19 that um, whoever comes into government as part of the health 
system reform that we really need to um, take stock of the essential role that civil society play in health, whether in terms of prevention or delivering um, services, particularly to marginalised communities. And what I mean by that is I think we we need to have a a framework um, of work of ministries of health, Ministry of Health and other um, health sector working with civil society, ensuring um, adequate financing, training, uh, accreditation, et cetera, et cetera, because we we, we witnessed um, how crucial a role um, they played during COVID-19 and other emergencies like the floods and um, such like. And you can see where um, a pandemic preparedness uh, framework um, is going to be crucial so that you don't just rely on ad hoc initiatives. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do we have anything of that sort, Prof. Adiba, a pandemic preparedness policy in place? Uh, I believe the Ministry of Health is working on it and, and has had it prior to COVID-19. Um, after the, um, I think it was after the H1N1, um, and the avian flu scare, uh, and, and there was a global call for pandemic preparedness. Malaysia does have one, but certainly it needs to be re-looked at, and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure our Ministry of Health is looking into it. And there are several sort of, when, when you talk about pandemic preparedness, there are several um, domains to it. One is, of course, um, the important uh, aspect of surveillance that we have a system in place ideally that's digitized um, that can pick up uh, outbreaks not just in humans but also in animals I think that's uh, a key aspect of pandemic preparedness number two is of course um, the public health response and and one of the uh, key lessons I think from COVID-19 was how important the public health, when I say public health sector, it's the, the PKDs and, and colleagues in um, who work in uh, Pusat uh, and Kesihatan Daerah and, and all of those people who went out to do the contact tracing and make sure you're isolated, etc. They need to be strengthened and given the tools, uh, including computers, computers, um, uh, you know, internet, uh, really basic uh, fast internet access. Mm. Yes, yes, um, and software and all the surveillance things. Number three is primary care. I mean, I think one of the <clears throat> strengthening primary care, you yourself touched on it. I think one of the gaps that I personally saw um, during the height of the Delta um, search before we kind of formed the task force was how siloed we were working in terms of um, the private GPs versus um, the the Ministry of Health response. I think that's a big lesson to be learned in, in, in how we can bring um, the public and the private sector, particularly in primary care together, um, you know, in, in, in not just in, in uh, pandemic preparedness, but also in... Um, in addressing non-communicable disease and um, the aging population. We, we can't continue to work in silos anymore. And if you look at the, um, the top 10 recommendations that the Nature paper came up with, I think five or six of them touched on collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. And uh, speaking of NCDs, I think um, the and that entire uh, burden 
suffered as well in terms of the management and uh, uh, helping people uh, live with those diseases because of the strain on the healthcare system dealing with the pandemic, right? So if we, uh, if we, yeah. Cancer care was delayed, you know, the um, testing for for things like HIV and um, uh, diabetes, etc., etc. And don't forget people with NCD, diabetes and obesity um, have a higher risk of, of severe COVID and dying. And, and we haven't really looked, or I, I myself haven't really looked at this closely, but you know, our relatively high mortality rate may somewhat be explained by our high prevalence of diabetes and um, obesity. So, so how do they we all have to be addressed together? Mm. So how do we ensure that you know we boost uh, the resilience of our healthcare system so that whatever pandemic in the future comes along, uh, we won't have to face a situation of I need to set this disease aside so that I can deal with this crisis. You know. Yeah, recently the um, WHO rep for um, uh, for Europe, uh, Dr. Hans Klute, made a, a very good call for looking at you know how we move forward uh, with with the health system, and it needs to be dual tracked. One, be prepared for future pandemics, and two, deal with the current. Um, well, just just set aside COVID, but deal with current NCD um, threat, right? And and essentially, it, it's the same, right? It's um, having a strong uh, public health system, a strong primary care, strong surveillance, digitization, um, you know, a strong human resource for health. I mean, I, I talked about public health sector, but we also need to strengthen nursing. We need to strengthen um allied health, uh, particularly to deal with the NCDs and the aging population. So in other words, we, we, we have to really relook at our health, current health system um, and, uh, and learn the lessons from COVID-19 to, to move forward. And um, the caretaker um, health minister, um, KGS, you know, um, had started an initiative called the Health White Paper that I think um, has begun to uh, examine some of these issues. Hopefully it will be continued, whoever comes into power um, after Saturday. Yes, um, exactly. Reforms, it shouldn't matter who is sitting at the top. Um, exactly. These are reforms that uh, we've needed in place for many years now. Absolutely. Uh, earlier you mentioned, you know, uh, some... Uh, it was debatable, some SOPs uh, that worked well, some didn't perhaps. Um, you know, on that note, um, what would you like to see not being repeated as we move ahead? The, I think the biggest lesson is to that, that still remains that whole of society, whole of a government approach. Although I lauded the, um, the general public and civil society coming forward. But to be, to be honest and truth be known, um, in terms of the, the people with outside of the government system, we, we felt like we were knocking um, very hard to be let in, to, to get our voices heard in the initial stages of uh, the pandemic response. So I, hopefully that won't happen again because you... 
you really need to work with everyone. And, and a good example would be um, working with migrant workers, for example, right? Um, we have a large community of documented and undocumented migrants. The only way you're going to work with them effectively, um, whether to educate them on the vaccine or to get them to come forward, um, uh, for the vaccine is to work with their community leaders to to go where they're at to speak in languages that they understand and and be culturally sensitive and of course not to persecute them. Um, uh, so I think those were are the major lessons. And the second major lesson is I think the um, the inequalities, right? For for those of us who are privileged and who can who can um, who can continue? Who will, who will continue to get salaries? Who can who can uh, work from home? Um, perhaps the effect of the COVID pandemic wasn't so harsh. But those who, you know, on, in lockdown, get squashed in in tiny uh, PPR flats and uh, workers' dormitories. You know, the, the the pandemic had a different effect. So I think when when we Looking at pandemic response, we also need to be aware that, you know, that other cliche during COVID is not everyone is in the same boat. And, and therefore, it's crucial that we work with people who understand the different circumstances of the different um, vulnerable groups and not have just a one-size-fit-all response. Um, I have a question here. I have two questions here from a listener. One's related to the second booster shot. Um, this listener said they got their first booster exactly a year ago, actually. So mm. can it be taken now, the second booster? Absolutely. Yeah, because <laughs> that's a short answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it doesn't matter, even though the recommendation is six months after the first booster, that doesn't mean you're too late, right? Quote, unquote. No, no, no. No, definitely not. So six months from the first booster so that you don't have it too soon. So, you know, to, 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 so that you, you know, um, the immune system um, has time to be primed. But it's, if you are more than six months, you definitely, it's time to get. And uh, the second question was, um, why does a person's body weight reduce um, for some people after getting the vaccination? Oh, I've, I've, I must admit I've not uh, heard this. Um, is it from other side effects that they've had? Um, it's not clear from the question. Mm. So, um, you know, if you want to, to the listener, if you want to quickly just clarify what do you mean by that? Um, uh, but I guess, uh, Prof, what you could address maybe are some common side effects that people may experience after getting the booster jab. Yeah, it's no different from um, the previous well-known side effects, uh, which are, um, you know, some pain around the, the injection site, some fever, some um, some tiredness. Um, of course, there are concerns of the um, more severe side effects like the clots. But um, really, uh, the the risk from the disease from all uh, published studies show that it's higher than from getting the vaccine. Absolutely. Um, for everyone, uh, 
attending charamas, perhaps um, going out and about daily activities and importantly, heading to the polls on Saturday. Again, a reminder, Prof Adiba, about what measures they need to take to keep themselves and their loved ones safe? If you can, if you have time to get boosted, get boosted. Although, as, as you know, scientifically speaking, it'll take some time for the immune system to get primed. So, but still, um, if if you can, do get boosted. Um, number two, keep the mask on, um, especially in crowded places, especially indoors. Stay away um, from from people and and. Um, uh, don't sit around and simbang simbang with with the mask off. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, ensure that you know the the area that you're on is adequately ventilated. I have a very good question. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a very good question that just came in um, from an e-hailing driver, um, mm. and uh, he or she is asking: um, Should they get even a third booster shot? Um. The answer to that is is no. I mean, I think there is um, right now the, the evidence is, particularly if you had the mRNA vaccine. So a third booster shot may need to be considered if your first three vaccines are the inactivated vaccine, the Sinovac or Sinopharm, because for Sinovac and Sinopharm, Three doses is considered the primary a uh, primary vaccination. So, so if you had gotten that means your your first booster is not your first booster. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your the fourth, second booster is yes. your first booster. So the for for Sinovac the and Sinopharm, do- the fourth yeah. jab is actually just a first booster. Correct. Yeah. So uh, to Winston, who asked that question, um, I guess, you know, the question is whether you got a Pfizer uh, jab earlier, in which case you don't need a third booster. But if it was a Sinovac or Sinopharm jab all the way, uh, well, for the first three, then uh, you would need five jabs in total. Am I getting this right? So, yeah, so the three doses is considered a primary, what we call a primary um, vaccine Mm-hmm. Uh, primary immunization for, for Sinovac, Sinopharm. Absolutely. And um, wow, everyone's heading to the polls. Everyone's busy campaigning and talking about um, politics. Prof, um, what is your message? And I know you've alluded to this a little bit already, but just to wrap up, your message for the next government as we look, I mean, Everyone's so primed to talk about health uh, and its effects on us. So I think this is really, um, the time is ripe for whoever comes into the next government to um, take these issues seriously. So what's your message to them? Absolutely. There can be no more, no higher priority than health and education for um, the next government. I think we have seen the impact of um COVID-19 on the economy, on, on, on the next generation, particularly young children who've lost um, years of learning, um, the impact on, on society as a whole. So without health, um, you know, it's, it's very hard as an individual, but uh, certainly collectively as a society to move forward. Um, and so I do hope that the new government pay um the strong attention to how to improve health um, 
to invest and, and, you know, a lot of us have been calling for greater investment in health um, commensurate to our level of economic development. Um, and that is that figure of 5% of the GDP annually to be spent, to be spent on, to be uh, budgeted for health. Um, and, uh, to, to strengthen primary health care, to strengthen public health care in all its entirety. Um, we, we unfortunately have this dual public-private health system that, um, you know, it's uh, not, not, I mean, needs, needs work in terms of how to make this work. Not been used to its best advantage, we could yes, say. Yes, yes. And, and I've been doing my colleagues and my medical students and others a, a disservice if we don't also pay attention to the issues around um, you know, strengthening medical education and, and um, ensuring that we have enough uh, doctors and posts for them to be trained as, as future specialists and, and other types of healthcare workers, nurses, allied health, etc. So there's a lot on the plate for the new health minister. But again, um, working together, consulting, um, you know, all the relevant stakeholders, inshallah, we can, we can transform the health system. Oh, the other thing is, of course, to invest in digitization. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot that we can ask from our um, elected candidates forming the next government. Uh, so, you know, save the date, obviously, on Saturday, 19th of November, head to the polls to vote. But after that, make sure you join us on BFM from 6pm onwards and we'll be walking you through everything that's happening on election night, bringing you results as they come in. And for the first time, BFM will be debuting our live video stream so you'll be able to also watch what's happening in the BFM studios. You can log on to our website, our channels on YouTube and Facebook and of course on our BFM app. So once again, save the date. BFM's Battle for Malaysia coverage kicks off at 6pm this Saturday, 19th of November. And thank you so much Prof, for your time today, I've been speaking to Professor Dato Dr. Adiba Kamarozaman, infectious disease physician and member of the National Recovery Council about the COVID-19 pandemic. You've been listening to Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.